All right, welcome back to Digging Deeper, KPC's weekly podcast. Deeper still. Never mind. (laughs) You said Digging Deeper last week, too. Take two. everybody welcome to deeper still kpc's weekly podcast reflecting back together on the weekly sermon that was just preached anywhere from one to two days early we are here on monday march the 4th and i'm here with my lovely wife jane i'm steve keller and jane has just had a cold last week so you may think she sounds a little lauren bacali which is actually kind of attractive if you're sitting right across from her so we are going to be uh, looking today at, um, we're talking today, um, and there's a little call from James Colt. Uh, we are going to be talking about um, Josiah. Mark Santum preached a great sermon yesterday on Josiah. Uh, for some folks, Josiah is very familiar. For others, he's not. For, I think, the majority, Josiah is a vague name that has a positive meaning. So what I'm going to do, hopefully in 90 seconds or less, is just give you the basics of Josiah, and then we're going to talk about, um, you know, just his life, reflect a little bit on his legacy and all that. So, here is Josiah in a nutshell, from 2 Kings 22 and 23. He's also found in Chronicles. You can look at that one. But uh, Josiah is is a young man who comes to the throne at eight years old. He follows two incredibly wicked kings, his uh, great-grandfather... Uh, Manasseh, who reigned for 55 years, and then his father, Ammon, who reigned for two years, and these guys were horrendous. Idolatry, human sacrifice, corruption, desecrating and defiling the temple of God and the worship of God. And so uh, Josiah takes the, the throne when he is eight years old. Basically, by eight years old, he's he's kind of too young to be too deeply corrupted, And we read in verse 2 this remarkable statement early in his life. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely in the ways of his father, David. Uh, Going back to King David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. And that's a commentary on uh, his whole reign for sure, but um, even even his starting uh, point as a young man. So here's what happens in his life. At the age of 26, 18 years later... He decides to repair the temple of God. As the temple of God is being repaired, lo and behold, Indiana Jones, they find find the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. Josiah reads the book, falls under intense conviction that Israel has abandoned and forsaken the Lord. He tears his robe, breaks into weeping, they, uh, uh, he and, and uh, actually a prophet, Holda, who is a female prophet, which is remarkable during that time, um, she gives him, a, gives him a prophetic word saying that the Lord is actually going to judge Israel for forsaking him. And um, Josiah goes under even deeper conviction, calls all the people, the priests, the leaders, everyone together, and he reads the entire law of God before the people of God. And as soon as the the, law, the book of the law is is finished, he renews his covenant 
uh, to the Lord, renews Israel's covenant to the Lord. And then this king undergoes a massive cleansing campaign with words like smashing, breaking, uh, cleansing, pulling down, getting rid of, uh, burning, destroying everything that is idolatrous and against the Lord his God. And then we read this at the very end of his life. Neither Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses. It is a phenomenal two chapters of Scripture. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. But out of this, just, you know, uh, Mark keyed in on just the tenacity of this man to do what is right. But Jane, it leaves us with a whole lot to talk about uh, and just stones to turn over here. So I'm excited um, just to to look at this guy. So do you want to start us off? Well, I actually have a question, um, first of all. um, I hope I can answer. Because I didn't think about this until you were just doing your recap. So he he became king when he was eight. Yes. And it said that he did what it was right. So what what was okay? So, but he but it wasn't until he read the law or had the law read to him that he repented and and had this awareness that they were. So what what was that? Yeah, it's 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 really fun. Part of it is Hebrew construction in general. Um, You know, he not only do we uh, we read English. Right to left, we read Hebrew, left to right. But it's not just in, in the sentence writing of Hebrew um, that it's constructed very differently, but it's, it's just to hopefully not offend anybody, it, it, it would be considered a barbaric slash ancient language and construction. So with the, with the, uh, there's a lot of poetry in Hebrew, for example, that we wouldn't speak in it. They would break right into it. Um, but sometimes what they'll do in... in uh, uh, you know, uh, Torah, Talmud, but uh, throughout Scripture, is they'll comment on something and kind of give you the end and then give you the story and then go back and do it again. That's sort of what this is, where it starts off with, it's kind of like a sandwich, like, here we're getting ready to tell you about a king who is absolutely amazing okay. and love the Lord, then they tell a story and then they finish up with it. But he was still a good king from the time he was eight yes. until... He, which was what he was in his twenties. Yeah, he... so from from eight years old to twenty six, when he really really mm-hmm. kicks in. But this is this is also a comment on his early life that even as a child, from the age of eight and for the next eighteen years until he takes action here, he was a young man who feared the Lord, who walked with the Lord. <coughs> and it's interesting because in um, right off the bat, um, uh, in verse one. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. And this is interesting. His mother's name was Jedidah, daughter daughter of blank. She was from blank. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So there's really, they're making, uh, the writer here is making a connection between, his mother's put in there for a reason, like really based off her example. You know, she had a rotten husband who didn't fear the Lord, so so it's not really much of a stretch to say that she was instrumental in him walking with the Lord, learning the right. ways of the Lord, even before there is a law of God that they all all rally around. Um, 
she's pulling him to the ways of the Lord. She's training up a child. Her child in the way he should go, and lo and behold, when he gets old, he doesn't depart Which, from it. And Mark pointed that out in his sermon yesterday, yeah. the powerful impact that a parent has, you know, on their children and raising them. Yeah, yeah, because he's really, <clears throat> he's surrounded by just wickedness. You know, his, I mean, his family tree is rotten from his grandfather and his father, but there's nothing but idolatry around him, forsaken the ways of the Lord. Um, you know, human sacrifice, ba- uh, bowing to Molech and Baal, two of the big gods of the time. So really, he doesn't have a shot except for, it looks like here, his mother who just calls it, his heart back. It's, it reminds me too, and speaks to me of um, our, our uh, Naaman last week who didn't know God, you know, didn't, but the Lord was with him yeah. and working in his life before he had that, you know, knowledge and then heart revelation of who God was is, I guess, sort of the same thing. Yeah, it kind of is. And kind of is in Josiah's life. Although he did have a great-grandfather. Who was his great-grandfather? That was... um, His great-grandfather was a godly king. Right, yeah. But, you know, you're three generations removed. I mean, he had no chance to even know this man. Right. But just the faithfulness of God to us through the generations. Yeah. Yeah, and reclaiming. Yeah, and for and you're right. Like for Naaman, you know, he has no idea who God is. Um, he has, I mean, he has no connection. So for him, it's a one-time thing. But in a sense, for Josiah, it's kind of God calling his children back. Right. So it's, it really is more of a repenting and returning. Mm, so, good. yeah. Um, so Josiah the tenacious. Is yeah, what the Mark, tenacious. Mark uh, called him. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Tenacity. I mean, um, what strikes you? You know, tenacity means determination. Mm. Like, no matter what comes my way, I'm seeing this through. Um, What do you think about this kid? Well, this king, I should say. Well, in in Mark's sermon, too, he pointed out two things that he was tenacious about. Purging sin, which was all those words that you just pointed out and. Mark also pointed on his sermon, you know, just tearing down, uh, burning, pounding, well, all those action, all those verbs, you know, of destroying uh, the strongholds, uh, the idols, the, the sin. So he was a perjurer of sin. And then the se- second thing he was tenacious about was he was a pursuer of God. Yeah. So he was very determined in those two things. Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess just one question I was asking myself is what would that look like today in, you know, the days and times that we, the times and days, days and times that we live in, you know, what does it look like to be a purger of sin? Is that something that we're even still called to do? Um, Are we tearing down strongholds and getting rid of idols and what does that look like in modern day, like in my life personally? Yeah, you know, one thing with uh, with Josiah, and, and I, I'm not going to pretend that this is the ultimate answer for this, but for him it's intensely personal before it's public. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he is introduced to the Word of God, and he has a very intense um, 
individual reaction to it. You know, he tears his robe. He weeps before the Lord. And, um, you know, it's not like he gets ahead of steam and goes, that's it, I'm just knocking everything down. But he, he, you know, and of course he's the king, so he can act on behalf of the people. But um, he is remorseful, repentant, you know. He's torn in two over the state of things and sin, and he renews the covenant and um, I think that that I think it starts there. Um, you know, I, I know it's maybe more glamorous, and maybe it's even easier to kind of attack a cause. Like this is something that's wrong in the world. I'm going to tear it apart. But I wonder if we can do that without being broken. Um, you know, and and being repentant ourselves. You know, for it really being you know a per deep personal conviction versus just you know grabbing our, our lance and charging at whatever windmill of sin. So I, I thought that was really neat, you know, that um, God really deals, the Holy Spirit really deals with His heart, and it's about Him before it's about whatever He needs to go out and do. Right, yeah. yeah, and too, that He was living, you know, before Christ, and, and of course Christ has come and has torn down all that... Um, you know, that he's made the way for us. And I can't remember if it was you or Mark who pointed out that Josiah is a a Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, was that you during He's kind of a forerunner of, yeah, right. of Christ. And, right. Because there are several characters in the Old Testament that come, and they're not just Christ-like, but they're, they're Christ representatives. You know, they're... Even Jesus will point back to them. Others will point back and, right. you know, say, hey, this was really, this was a God-appointed forerunner of Christ. Right. So I think we do that today. I mean, I think I answer my question that we are called to be purgers of sin, but it, it's in our own life. Yeah. You know, it is a personal thing. And repentance is is personal, and it is... The Holy Spirit dealing with us. Yeah. Um, now, and I think we call other people to that just by the way we live. You know, not, not I mean, Josiah was a king, so he could call his, you know, all of Judah to repentance. He could do that. He had the authority to do that and the authority to go in and wipe out idols and to re- and to literally get rid of the sin and the <coughs> strongholds that were there. Um, but I think we do that today just by living our own life in repentance. And I think other people see that in us and it calls them to repentance. I mean, for one thing, if you know, if you're dealing with sin in your own life a lot sometimes, that will involve other people, you know, confessing your sin one to another, you know, asking someone for forgiveness. I think just living that life points people to repentance. Um, so that's that's what my... Yeah, so I, th- I think we've got a couple of pieces here already <clears throat> that we can identify. One is the Word of God is absolutely... It is just the starting point. I mean, it is the foundation. You can't uh, 
you know, you can't, you, you, there is no life without it, and that there's no life for God with it. So you got the Word of God, and I, I love that you're pointing out repentance here. That we are called to live a life of repentance. You know, repentance isn't just something we do when we say yes to Jesus. Repentance is a lifestyle. We're always turning to God. Um, you know, we're always rethinking um, our our life and our walk with God. You know, we're listening for God. We're our minds are being renewed. You know, we're taking in more scripture. You know, we're we're in prayer. But yeah, it's it's so it is a repentant lifestyle. And I think for for a lot of folks, you know, repentance is kind of like an event. Like, oh yeah, I did that. Or oh yeah, I did a few bad things. It's probably time to repent again. Mm-hmm. You know, we almost get kind of a Catholic mind, mindset of, okay, it's time to go before the priest. Mm-hmm. For us, it would be time to go before the Lord and confess these nine sins. But as a lifestyle, you know, humility, turn toward the Lord. Um, uh, uh, yeah, so in Have in you ever had a, a, a tearing, you know, your robes moment, you know, just a a moment of, such deep conviction before the Lord that you just, um, I mean, obviously tearing your rose was something, you know, but have you had, just figuratively speaking, have you had a, a repentant moment like that? I've had some of those. You yeah. know, I think, um, you know, what bothers me more is that I don't have, have more of those. Mm. You know, that, um, you know, whether it's sin or pressure or fatigue or just, busyness. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh yeah, that's wrong. Let me, God, I'm, I'm aware that, you know, and, and the Spirit of God is a, is a part of that for sure, but like a gut-wrenching tearing, mm-hmm. um, there, are, there have been some times. Yeah. I think know, a lot of people are afraid of that, but it's just, you know, I've experienced that a few times, and it's so, it's, it's sweet to, you know, to be under the discipline of the Lord can be really a, a sweet thing. Yeah. Because it's so, well, you know, the Lord disciplines those He loves. So His discipline is always loving. Yeah. And um, it, it can, you know, like just feeling completely wasted before God, you know, just stripped bare. Um it, it it always when it's the Holy Spirit because I think when it's so let me finish that thought when it is the Holy Spirit it is a powerful loving for good thing in our life yeah it's not like God's destroyed me I'm worthless I'm no good no that's it but I think some people experience that thinking that that's repentance but it leads to shame or it leads to defeat that's not the Lord that's not the Holy Spirit yeah. and that's how we can tell the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of times we don't, we just don't live from the gut. You know, we live from the mind. Um, we live, uh, you know, kind of based on what we see, what's what we're taking in in the moment. But uh, like David in the Psalms is a great example. Um, you know, here is a man who, and he has some glorious failures in his life from time to time. But he really lives from the gut, you know, from the heart, the, the soul. And like I think of the Psalms where, you know, David just gets, <laughs> he gets so riled up against his enemies, mm. you know. Um, or when when God convicts him, he's so broken. 
And when he's expressing his love of God, it's such, he's, you know, there's such wonder and amazement at who God is, or, you know, oh, I love you, Lord, my strength. You know, it's, he's a guy who's really living from down deep. And I, I think so often we live from the surface that we experience everything there. You know, we feel a little sweetness in worship, or we feel a little bit of conviction, or we have a, a bit of a response to the word. Um, but boy, Josiah, I mean, man, robes are ripped and right. tears are flying. And, you know, when it's time to deal with sin, he's swinging hammers and, you know, driving bulldozers. And it's it's really a beautiful, I think it's an invitation. You know, like, like Jesus says, you know, love the Lord your God with everything that makes you who you are. I mean, soul, mind, strength. Um, and the Jews certainly model that, mm-hmm. I think, very beautifully for us. Yeah. 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 Okay, so we got the Word, we got repentance. Um, what else do we have here with... with um, Purging sin? Yeah, man. That one? I mean, is that what you're asking? What else? Yeah, just, I mean, what else really stands out from his life? Um yeah, I mean, he goes after it, doesn't he, when it's time to deal with sin. And and again, he's got the authority to rip down anything he wants to, right. to repair anything he wants to. I mean, he's marching priests off and putting people to the sword. He can do that. And this is where I think it gets really interesting. What does it mean for us to be tenacious when it comes to Dealing with sin, and what does that what does that look like for us today? Because you know, you and I are not. I mean, you're my queen, of course, but you're <laughs> not the queen of America. I'm not the king of America. You know, so um, I think this is this is fascinating. Well, I think it goes back to. Did I interrupt you? No, no. <laughs> for me, it goes back to what I was saying earlier that we live. You know, after Christ has come. So I think purging sin and dealing with sin is different than it was in yes. Josiah's day, obviously. Um, you know, they lived under the law, and we live under grace. Um, yes. So we, sin is still very seriously, serious, obviously. Sin is serious. Um, I do think, though, to to be a perjurer, to be tenacious about sin, really just, for me, it just means dealing with my own stuff, Mm -hmm. my own heart, my own mind, my own motivations, you know. Um, And for me, it really, I don't feel called to purge anybody else's sin. (laughs) All right, so, so, okay, this is good. Jesus says some things to us about judging sin in other people's lives. Right. The things he says are, don't do it. Right. <laughs> you know, so we're not called to judge sin. There is a Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit is not anybody walking around in flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus has told us, um, he, he's just very, very clear. I mean, throughout the New Testament, it's just... We are so hands off. Mm-hmm. It's got, God will avenge. God will judge. And I, I, I wonder. I'm turning over in my mind right now. When it comes to purging sin for the church, is it that we are 
engaged in an active, radical love towards the world, which involves serving, well, going to them, not saying, hey, the doors are open, come to us, but we go to them, um, we serve, we, we, um, we bless, we pray for, as um, the doors open, we share the good news of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think that's what I was saying earlier yeah. was that, that's what not, like you were, not you were, in that detail, yeah. but just, you know, we purge sin by just living our own lives in, in an act of repentance and humility mm-hmm. before the Lord and before one another. Yeah. And that's how we call people in to this relationship with Jesus. And, you know, that's, that's how it happens, I believe. Um, I just don't, yeah, I mean, we're not, that doesn't mean that we don't ever speak out against sin. We don't ever take a stand. That doesn't mean that. But I just think that, well, I mean, you say this all the time. When people are in sin, they don't need somebody to tell them that. They know it. They know it. Nobody, you know, is walking around wondering if they're committing adultery or not. You know, they they know when they're sinning. So our, what is our job then? Our job isn't to try and purge that out of their life. Our job is to love them and to point them to the truth, to... So yeah, I mean, and, and two, it's different when you're dealing with believers and non-believers. There definitely, definitely is a place to come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ to, you know, um, challenge them, to talk to them, to, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's different when you're dealing with believers and non-believers. Yeah, I think so often that's the fear in the church is that if we're not pointing out sin— and making sure everybody knows what it is, where the lines are, you know, whether preaching about it or including it in an evangelistic message or, um, you know, it's not our job to convict people of sin. And not talking about sin all the time doesn't mean that we're going light on sin. Right. I think it's coming from that Old Testament um, foundation that we certainly see fulfilled in Christ that love covers a multitude of sins. And so, and, and I found this, uh, I remember this happened a lot in NASCAR when I was uh, working with them, and my job was purely evangelistic, but it was, um, you know, as, as we would go in and love and proclaim Christ in very pagan venues, like a track every week, people would fall under conviction of their sin. And I, I remember one time up in Dover, Delaware, um, the, the message was, it was simply the love of God. And so I'm just preaching about the love of God and how it's fulfilled in Christ. And this guy, you know, he's just kind of wandered over. He's a fan. He breaks down crying. He goes over the fence. He's hanging on a fence. He doesn't even stay for the end of chapel. And I walked over to him, and he just said, I'm just such a sinner. I'm such a sinner. You know, I've just... And he just starts rolling out all this stuff he's been doing. it. But he fell under the conviction of the Holy Spirit without anybody talking about sin, but we were talking about Jesus. We were talking about the right. love of God. And it's God, you know, when we love, the the Spirit of God will move on the hearts of people. And it opened the door for me to then talk to Him about His sin. Right. But it was, He, you know. I think that um, it's kind of like, 
you know, being a parent, you feel like if you're not telling your child right and wrong, that you know you're you're missing it somehow. You know, if and and obviously there's there's a time and a place for that, but I think that. <coughs> I think there's something about being a Christian that we feel like we have to be everybody's mom and dad (laughs) and tell them what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. I don't know. I think it comes from a—honestly, I just think it comes from a place of insecurity in us, you know, and not having experienced—excuse me—the love of God deeply in our lives. Agreed. Y'all, we're sorry for the coffin. We're both getting over a cold. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so... It feels counterintuitive to to deal with sin without correction rather than to just deal with sin with love. That feels counterintuitive. And again... When you're dealing with believers, of course, and there, are, you know, there is and can be a place for correction um, in love. <laughs> yeah, but just to let the outrageous, lavish love of God through us, right, open eyes and melt hearts, and it does work that way. You know that, um, you know, you take some of our heroes, you know, someone like a Mother Teresa who spent her life just loving the poorest of the poor. And she was she was a grassroots movement for Jesus, and I think that the church could could do the same thing, you know, to get out to to target a group of people and just say we're going to love them fiercely in the name of Jesus through acts of compassion, um, and watch God purge sin yeah. in people's lives. And you know, it's it's just so easy. The default of the church is well, let's just have great programming. You know, even when we do outreach, let's make it a program of the church versus I'm here for the sake of the world, to reach the world, to love the world. And we do that, and we're going to find them worshiping with us. And their new life will help bring us to life, you know, as they come to to know Jesus Christ. So, Josiah, doing it, man. So the second thing was a pursuer of God. He was tenacious in that. I don't know if you don't even know if we have time. We could touch on that a little bit. Yeah. Deeper. What does that mean? And there is the call to every Christian to step away from hitting our marks, checking off our kind of religious checklist, and when we worship in church, that it's from a place of sincerity and depth and meaning, you know, when we hear the Word of God to receive it. You know, when God speaks to us in Scripture that we say, I'm not, I'm not going to look in a mirror and walk away and forget what I look like, but I'm going to be a doer of this. Um, I mean, for me, I think it just goes back to what you were, when you were talking about David a few minutes ago. You know, just living from the heart. It really is about the heart. Um, our relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's about living living from the heart, yeah. um, pursuing Him, you know, the first commandment. Yeah. I mean, that's, to me, that's really, it really is that simple, and so. Yeah, I mean, that's, 
to be uh, tenacious in that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I love the words of, of Scripture, you know, seek, um, yeah. pursue, love, just that it really, this really is about passion, mm-hmm. passion for God mm-hmm. and whatever I'm doing right now, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> that I'm on a journey to know Him. Mm-hmm. That's good. Amen. All right, folks. Well, hopefully you squeeze a little a little juice out of that, Jane. Um, next week is. Are you ready to say or? Next week is Shifra and Pua, um, and that is a little something from Exodus. So uh, we're going to talk about a couple of women who saved Israel. How about that? And they only get six verses in Scripture. We'll have a good conversation then. Yeah, good. So until then, we love you, bless you, keep digging into Scripture deeper still. (laughs) 